Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host, per usual. Uh, thank you very much for listening. I am recording this at the tail end of Mother's Day, so to all the mothers out there, happy Mother's Day. If you didn't do something nice for your mom or a mom in your life, if you're, you know, married and you have kids, then, you know, be nice to your wife. Do something nice for her. If you didn't, try to make it up today, otherwise you'll be in the doghouse. But, it's, uh, I've been blessed with a lot of very wonderful maternal figures in my life, in addition to my mother. So, thank you all to every one of you out there. None of us would be here without you, quite literally. So, thank you. Appreciate all of you. All right. On the agenda this evening, UFC on ABC4 took place earlier Saturday morning. Threw off my whole day, man. I am I am in the routine of UFC being an evening thing, so getting it done in the that early just left me. I don't know. Sometimes when the routine gets that ingrained, when it gets thrown off, it's it's weird. Uh, we will also preview this upcoming event, UFC on ESPN Plus 81, and talk a little bit of news, and I might have a little bit of a thing about the kind of general state of the UFC cards coming up, because it ain't great. So, we'll get into all of that. All right, anything you can do to help the show is appreciated. Like, comment, subscribe, star rating, written review, whatever is possible on your podcast platform of choice is always helpful. Uh... And if you've done any and all of that, share. Tell people about the show if you think they'd enjoy it. Point them in my direction. Always happy to do that. Uh, okay, yeah, that's that's the intro. So let's jump into UFC on ABC4, shall we? Main event, exactly as predicted, more or less. Jailton Almeida runs over Jarzinho Rosenstruck. Uh, rear naked choke, submission, 343 of the first. Um, Almeida was lighter. He weighs a little less than 240. He's in the mid to high 230s most of the time. But he's a good enough wrestler. He get, he failed on his first takedown attempt, but got his second. Um, yeah, he just he kind of lassoed the legs. So he couldn't get his hands together shooting the double, but he got both of his um, hands behind the knees of Rosenstreich, and Rosenstreich didn't. Uh, sprawl couldn't get his legs away from that, so he kind of got bundled over. Uh, once Almeida's on top of you, man, he is a he's a beast. He's got good ground and pound. He only unleashes it when he's secure in his position, um, which is a choice. Uh, not saying good or bad. I'm just saying that's a choice. But once he passes very well. There's a distinct, um, there's a distinct Khabib influence on him, and he actually acknowledged in his post-fight interview. He said, "Yeah, if Khabib could win fights this way, I figure I can too." Um, he makes you make choices, and there's a couple in particular in this one where Rosenstroich could have either got trapped, like on his back with a wrist, uh, with his, uh, with um, with Almeida holding his wrist with wrist control. Which makes it very easy to punch you in the face. Or he could give up a worse position. Now, again, if you watch Khabib's career, he does this all the time. 
most of the people he fights don't give up the worst position. They actually do just give up. They give up a control aspect in favor of not being in a worse traditional position. This is one of the things that made Khabib so great was he took this, it's not neutral, but he took these positions that were ostensibly not the worst place you could get caught and he made them very bad through his control and his liberal use of ground and pound. Almeida here, again, he's more judicious with his strikes. Some of that might just be his gas tank concerns because he's a heavyweight. It's a real concern. But he is able to force those decisions. And a lot of the guys he's facing, because I think because it's heavyweight, they'd rather give up position than get punched in the face. This, the dichotomy here between what you do at lightweight and what you do at heavyweight is pretty stark. The lightweight guys are more willing to take some physical abuse if it means they can avoid being in positions where they feel kind of checkmated. And that's not to say that Khabib didn't have power and he messed people's faces up. But as a general rule, there's less heat being thrown at 155 as opposed to 265, right? So most of the heavyweights would rather give up a position than get hit. This leads to him getting chokes all the time. Uh, uh, Dominic Cruz on commentary mentioned that this is a lot of what Daniel Cormier did. Get on top, force them into either taking blows or giving up the back. They give up the back, and as they're in transition there, it's not that hard to grab a choke. I shouldn't say it's not that... Like, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying grabbing chokes in transition is easier than trying to deal with them once they're settled into their defensive position and mindset. Uh, uh, Almeida's a real problem for this division. Uh, I don't, I'm not necessarily saying future champion. There's some stuff that has to be sorted out still. He still appears a touch one-dimensional. Now, some of that, I think, is just, uh, like, matchup dependent. Like, I don't want to stand and trade with Jorginho Rosenstreich. That's a bad idea. Very true. But we haven't seen his plan B yet. And... Even, the thing about this is, like, even with Khabib, his plan A, his plan B was similar to his plan A, but the, you could see the difference. Uh, I need to see what Almeida's plan B is. I need to see him in some more prolonged striking exchanges. I don't think he's bad on the feet, but I need to see a little more. Uh, but at this point, man, he's he's definitely one of the better heavyweights in the UFC. And he'll probably be fighting for that belt at some point. I don't know exactly when the UFC kind of intimated, Dana White did, that no contracts have been signed, but they're planning on doing John Jones versus Steve Miocic at uh, Madison Square Garden this year. If John wins that, my hunch is to favor John. It's usually how I favor things. But if he wins that, he might just retire afterwards as having accomplished... You know, pretty much everything he's going to do, especially, um, especially if he beats Stipe, like, relative, not just thoroughly, but relatively quickly. He would be able to, I'm not saying he's this petty, I don't know, but if he could go up, if he could say, I was the man at light heavyweight, I'm the best light heavyweight ever by a wide margin. And I think that's true. 
Then I went up to heavyweight, and I wasn't a simultaneous champ, but then I won that belt from a guy considered to be one of the best without taking damage in the first round. Dude, if he beats Stipe in the first... If he, the big thing here would be, like, if he beats him faster than Daniel Cormier beat him in their first fight, um, like, he could just, what else is there to accomplish? Like, what does he, look, the next number one contender from a meritocratic standpoint is Sergei Pavlovich. You got Almeida on the come up, too, but, like, Pavlovich is the next guy, in theory. But without Francis Ngannou, you know, the best heavyweight in the world, I think. Is John going to fight Sergei Pavlovich? Like, John might decide to be done after this. If he does, like if he beats Stipe in round one, not saying he will, but if. And then says, I'm out. Dude never lost the light heavyweight title in the ring. To then win the heavyweight belt and then defend it in short order against the most accomplished UFC heavyweight champion of all time, and that's what Stipe Miocic is. Like, I don't think John at this point in his career is interested in just the next guy up. I think he's looking for stuff that stands out as he is kind of preparing to wind down his career. And a lot of guys do this. This is not a value judgment on John. But, again, short of Francis Ngannou, what's there at heavyweight for him to do if he beats Stipe? So, again, there there's a little bit of ambiguity at the top of heavyweight right now in that respect that I think needs to be sorted. We still don't know what Cyril Gaon's going to do. I think after the fight, Almeida said he wants to fight Tai Tuivasa. I'm okay. Makes sense. I think Tuivasa's still ranked above him. And another, it's another stylistically favorable matchup for Almeida, but also, you know, it, it, it is the kind of fight that will get a little bit of attention because Tuivasa has a fan base, so. Not the worst call-out in the world. So, uh, I saw, I think I saw, um, was it Gon that looked, was looking to fight Almeida? Was there someone else that Gon was? It might have been Almeida. Um... Not sure I love that fight for Gone. I, I would rather Gone like took a step down. You know, let's really kinda let's retool some of his game a little bit here, and we don't need to rush back to the belt. You're good enough in the division shallow enough that if the kind of continued advancement of your skills is present, you'll get there. And you'd rather get there safe than soon. Safe and ready rather than soon and unprepared. Uh, as for Rosenstrike, I don't know. Like, the UFC seems to like him. I'll probably keep him around, but I think we've seen his ceiling at this point. Uh, Almeida, on the other hand, uh, watch out for that guy. That guy is a handful. Uh, co-main event. Johnny Walker defeated Anthony Smith for unanimous decision. 29-28 and two 30-27s. Didn't quite get 30-27. I kind of thought Smith should have had the second round. Um, I don't think it's out of line. I just, I don't agree. Um, this wasn't a great fight. Walker fought methodical and patient. Smith. Uh, man, Anthony Smith got old in a hurry. 
feels like. He was just he was just lifeless. I mean, lifeless might be a bit of a stretch, but he was certainly listless. Uh, couldn't corral Walker. Did not have, um, didn't have the best cage cutting. Struggled to reach him. Struggled with the length a lot. I mean, Johnny Walker's a large man. You know, Smith is not usually giving up that much size. He was giving up a lot of size here. Because uh, Walker's like 6'6". Six, six. So he was taller. He was longer. Walker landed some nice calf kicks that were kind of eating at him. He was doing this weird thing where he'd double kick it. He'd like throw the calf kick and then wouldn't even fully reset back in his stance. He'd throw the calf kick, plant the leg like right there next to him, almost like he's stepping through on the kick, and then just throw the calf kick again and then reset orthodox it's a nice little trick but he was a bit predictable with it and if smith had been able to read it there were plenty of opportunities for counter rights there that he just couldn't quite capitalize on i mean i think it was in the was it the third round i think it was late in the, it might have been late in the second when smith started talking he started telling johnny walker you know you're attacking my family and Johnny Walker will kind of talk to you and react to what you're saying, so he gets this weird, like, what? <sighs> Again, it might have been, I can't remember if it was second or third, forgive me. <sighs> Man, Anthony Smith's just trying to drag something out of himself. That's what that feels like. Like, he's slow, he's behind, he knows he's behind, he's a very smart guy, and he's just trying desperately to find something in himself That'll get him out of second gear. And I don't know if he was speaking metaphorically, like you're, you know, my, you're trying to take food from my family, therefore you are the enemy of my family, and my family means everything to me, so I can kind of get going a little bit that way. I don't know if he was deliberately trying to flash back to, uh, I think I saw Chris Curtis mention this, like, this happened a little bit ago, I mean, it might have been a, uh, a, two years at this point, but... Anthony Smith was the victim of a home invasion, like a messed up, a messed up guy broke into his house and he was able to kind of restrain him until the cops arrived. But that kind of stuff will mess with you, especially, especially if you don't deal with it properly. And he was, and he talked openly about this. So I, about, uh, you know, going into his last fight, that uh, was the, uh, it was the Ankalaev fight where he broke his ankle. Um, he hadn't fully processed the passing of his mother, uh, which had happened, I mean, months before. Like, we're not talking like, it, this wasn't immediate, but he just hadn't, he hadn't dealt with that. You know, like, he tried to use training camp as therapy, and that's a, that doesn't work. And so I wonder if, yeah, I, I, he kind of looked like he was going to retire after this fight. When they were announcing the winner, like he had the gloves off, and he was kind of had that look. Um, he didn't leave the gloves in the cage, which is kind of the traditional sign, but here's the thing about Anthony Smith. He might only be 34. Um, and he, again, he fights like light heavyweight and I mean, middleweight for a long time. but So you can age differently, but he's not just 34. He's 34 with 54 fights. That's a lot. That's just a lot. I mean, 
win, lose, or draw. That's a lot of fights. He's been fighting since 2008. So what are we at? Like 15 years? Over. It was February of 08. So he's in his 16th year of professional fighting. North of 50 fights. Did some time in strike force. Uh, his you know had one fight in the UFC in 2013, lost. Uh, had a little bit of a run in Bellator, Vic, you know, bounced around, kind of the upper level, more regional scene, and then got back to the UFC. He's been in the UFC since what? Oh, 16. So he's got a lot of UFC fights too, and some of them have been brutal, man. And I don't just mean like he got knocked out badly or something, because, I mean, that happened, but, you know, that Andrew Sanchez fight, he won in the third round after Sanchez gasped, but that first, like, that was a rough fight. That was a tough fight. The Hector Lombard fight wasn't easy. Thiago Santos melted him. Um, He had a good little run. That John Jones fight was rough. Like, John beat the crap out of him. Like, it wasn't quite the, the violent destruction of John's, like, rise but if you want to rewatch that fight like that's a rough that's actually kind of a rough watch because smith just stops and he's like near the end of the third uh certainly like by the time we get into round four when john hits that illegal knee and has deducted a couple of points like smith just takes a beating the fight with gustafson it was a good bounce back win it just that was back. I mean, that wasn't a rough fight. It went into the fourth. It was a longish fight, but dude, that Teixeira fight though, when he followed that up with, when he got his teeth knocked out, like that was bad. Like that was just a that was just a rough fight. And then Rakich beat him. I mean, even if you look at like the fights that got him back on track, it's Devin Clark, Jimmy Crute, which was more an injury issue than anything. Uh, and then Ryan Spann, and Spann's been super hot and cold. Clark is only kind of a borderline of UFC talent. The crew one was pretty nice, but I don't know, man. Like, you put this many miles on your body, put that much damage on it, it's, I just wonder... You know, he's got to be close to the end. He did not, he did not look especially good here. Um, I'm not saying he can't, you know, sort some stuff out and maybe, you know, still win fights, but the way this ended in particular was just, like, I, it's one of the, the it just kind of went the way that you, if you watch enough fighting, when you see fighters start having rounds like that, it's one of those Big warning signs. I mean, I mean, big. Like, oh boy, like we're right near the end of the road here. And when you start, when you start trying to dredge up that kind of uh, that kind of motivation from within the depths of yourself, because you're just not there. Uh, that's again, that's just not a good sign. So. Uh, I, again, I like Anthony Smith. I'm not here to knock on the guy. This is just my observation. I So, 
I hope he gets sorted, whatever he needs to get sorted, whether that means he continues fighting or moves on. He's a very good analyst. He's a great talking head for the friggin' for the analyst desk. So he's a he's a smart guy. He's articulate. I just I think the end of the road is closer for him than a lot of us might have thought. Again, he's only 34. He's younger than I am, actually. But 54 fights is just a that's just a lot. That's just a lot of fights. And again, some of those have been rough. Some of those have been really rough. As for Johnny Walker, he jumped out of the cage after the fact went over because uh, Jamal Hill, the light heavyweight champion, was cage side and said, yeah, I'd kind of like to fight for the belt at some point, but, you know, he and I are going to see each other again, because if you'll recall, Hill knocked him out when they fought. Uh, I mean, Hill's going to, in theory, Hill has a date with Yuri Prohachka, and that'll be... Whatever you want to say about light heavyweight, it's not a great division. Uh, I'm, it just, it, it isn't. Sorry. I'm not trying to... That's just my assessment. I'm not trying to say it's terrible. I'm not trying to... I don't delight in that. I don't, you know, sit here going, boy, you all suck. Look at you guys fighting it too. Like, no, I'm not saying that. It's just... it. When you compare it with the really stacked divisions, like, it, it doesn't hold up. And, okay, fair enough. Like, divisions cycle. And so, you know, I'm not saying it can't be good again. I'm just, it isn't right now. But, you know, like, Prochka and Hall... That's going to be a fight. So I don't know exactly where Walker goes next from here, but one of his more complete performances. I think this was the first time. I think this is the first time he won by decision in his UFC run, isn't it? I wish to check this. Um, let's see. Finish, 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 loss, loss, finish, loss, loss, finish, finish. Yeah, his first decision win in the UFC. This is his first decision ever? No, he had a decision. Uh, his win on the Contender Series to get into the UFC was a decision. But dude has two decisions in his 28 fights. Win, lose, or draw, that guy goes after it. Um, all right. Welterweight. Ooh, buddy, this one. Ian, uh, Ian Gary, Ian Machado Gary. He stops Daniel Rodriguez, 257 to the first, with a head kick and some follow-up punches. Um, I, I, I've said before, like, I got kind of a soft spot for Daniel Rodriguez, but we might, um, he might need to retool some stuff because looks a little bit like guys that kind of figured him out. Um, Ian Gary looked pretty darn good. He was landing some pretty good body kicks at distance. Used that to set up the head kick that spelled the end of everything. He got hit, um, but he never reacted poorly to it. Um, yeah, he's, after the fight, he said he wanted to fight, uh, the gatekeeper, Neil Magny. Magny has a fight coming up. So his availability for that might depend on how Magny's fight with um the heck is he fighting? Uh, give me just a sec. Not next week. The week after that. I don't think it's two eighty nine. 
No, was it Cannoneer? No, it's not the Cannoneer Vittori card. Yeah, he's fighting Philip Rowe on um, UFC on ABC 5, which will be in June. So we'll have to wait a little bit to see if Gary and Magni can be a thing. I think it's a reasonable call-out for Gary. Uh, you know, Magni, he hit his ceiling a while ago. He just kind of stayed around his ceiling. So I mean, we'll see what Phil Rowe might have for him. But if Magni gets by that, Magni and Gary, I could see it. I could see that. Uh, light heavyweight. <laughs> uh, Carlos Ulborg defeated Iho Potieria via TKO. He caught Potieria coming in with a nice little left hook. Uh, dropped him. Landed. Dude, he had to stop this fight himself. Like, he was unloading with strikes on the ground. Stood up to walk away, and Potieria just kind of stayed turtled. And then the referee jumped in. It was uh, Keith Peterson. Which, you know, Dominic Cruz had to get a few jabs in there because ah uh, man I've said this before like if you've never been around hyper competitive people uh, you have no idea some of the stuff they hold on to and some of the stuff they do to motivate themselves I it's at the point where I'd rather he didn't especially if you're on the broadcast but you know it's not like Daniel Cormier hasn't been guilty of stuff like this or Paul Felder or anyone else, so I just rather it didn't happen. I'm not I'm not throwing shots at Cruz in particular here. Um yeah, Ulberg, he came into the UFC pretty early. He's got ability, uh, but he's very much an unfinished product, and I don't mean that unkindly. I, I think you would agree with that. Like he's got less than ten fights. And this was nine. Yeah. And he's clearly going the right direction. He he trains out of uh, city kickboxing. So he's got a good camp. He's shown ability. I just, I don't really know exactly where things are going to line up for him because he's still... I, I'm just, I'm always leery of guys who come into the UFC with less than 10 fights. He came in with four. His fifth fight ever was in the UFC. So, he might wind up doing very well. I'm not saying that he can't. I'm saying that always kind of, it's always a little bit one of those, like, leery things for me. Um, but Potieria, I think I saw this on Twitter, like, Potieria getting beat, getting uh, stopped quickly by an almost annoyingly attractive man is certainly ju is an appropriate penalty for what he did to Shogun. <laughs> In Shogun's retirement fight, and on an emotional level, I get it. Uh, welterweight next. Alex Morono defeated Tim Means via guillotine choke, uh, 209 to the second. Decent enough little fight here. They matched up about how you thought they would. Um, Morono misses a spinning back fist. Means gets a takedown, but as they're going down, Morono grabs the arm in guillotine. Hits a nice little adjustment, actually, to finish it. Um, you know... I thought Means won the first round, but it was a good little fight. Not a whole lot there. On the prelims, Matt Brown knocks out Court McGee with a right hand. 409 to the first. Just leveled him. Um, you know, McGee had some success early. Got some good, yeah, some, some decent wrestling from the back. Some good-ish work along the fence. And then 
McGee just got a little bit, um, you know, a little bit predictable with his entries, and he wasn't moving his head when he did so. And Brown just timed him, landed a right hand, boom, all she wrote. Matt Brown has now tied Derek Lewis for the most knockouts in UFC history. Yeah, um, I'm not gonna say anything bad about Matt Brown. You know, um, both these guys are respectful towards each other. Both of them have overcome so much stuff in their personal life that, you know, being here at all is a giant win, much less being here and fighting the UFC. I don't know how much longer McGee is going to stick around the promotion. Like, he's like... I keep saying that, but it, being in the UFC doesn't in and of itself mean what it used to. They just need a lot... They need a lot of bodies. So I imagine McGee will be there until he becomes not worth what they're paying him. And who knows when that'll be. But Brown wants to go for the record. I wish him luck. Uh, you know, again, Matt Brown's just one of those guys. I'm not going to say anything bad about him. Uh, heavyweight Carl Williams defeated Chase Sherman via unanimous decision. 230 29-28. I don't have a whole lot here. Um, Williams has some very impressive athletic explosion. But his takedowns seem overly reliant on that and not nearly enough reliant on technique. And that's going to get him in trouble. His hands are fast and he's got decent power, but it's heavyweight. Um, his cardio is a bit of an issue. Like Both these guys faded pretty badly and his leg kicks defense is a serious issue. Um, Sherman chopped him up with those. He just couldn't follow up. Um, Mid-level heavyweights. A bit of a surprise here. Douglas Silva de Andrade defeated Cody Stamen via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. This was a catch weight of 140. They agreed to that beforehand. Apparently, Stamen's going to be moving up. Um, Stamen got kind of screwed here. Not, not on the scoring. I actually think the scoring is correct. The crowd wasn't happy because Stamen won the third and won it. That was the most definitive round of the fight. He dropped uh, Silva de Andrade. Big third round for Stamen. But he lost the other two. The The controversy here comes in the first round. Um, near the end, back half of the round. I want to say there was about a minute left, maybe a little less, maybe a little more rather. Like somewhere in that minute's 92nd range, I think. Stamen gets a takedown. And Silva de Andrade goes to, he, he tries to kick him in the chest to push him away so he can stand up. Perfectly legal. All right, you. But as he throws this at the chest, it hits, glances, comes up, and catches Stamen under the chin, resulting in a kick to the face, which you cannot do if you're grounded. If they can't kick you in the head, you can't kick... Um, there's, no, there's no kicks to the head of a grounded opponent. Stamen was grounded. He had a knee down. Um, and at that point, again, you can kick the body... And that, I'm not, this is not one of those instances where I feel Silva de Andrade was trying to cheat. I think he was trying to kick off and his foot slipped off the chest and went up and caught Stamen in the face. Unfortunate, but it was a foul. The referee stops them, because it was a foul, stands them up. Gives Silva de Andrade a warning and then restarts them on the feet. 
I can't tell you how bad a call that is. Look, there were some boneheaded issues with the refereeing on this card. And it's all overshadowed by Tony Weeks on the uh, in the boxing side of things. Basically saving Roly Romero from losing a decision by, by stepping in and stopping. In one of the... Him stopping that fight is an all-time bad stoppage when he waved off that fight between uh, Roly Romero and uh, Barroso. Um, just horrible. Horrible job by Tony Weeks. And that, that kind of overshadowed some of the poor officiating that took place on this card. And I'll get to the other one in a second. And the other one's a bit more nuanced. Like, this one is just a bad call. If you're... And I, and I mean this, like, think about this for just a second. What was the penalty for De, Silva de Andrade fouling Stamen like that? He was given a warning. Sometimes that's all that's appropriate for, the, for a foul. I'm not saying you should have taken a point. I'm saying you gave him a warning and then you gave him what he wanted. He wanted to be on the feet. Now, there's an argument to be made that if you take a point, restarting on the feet can be appropriate. I'm not sure I fully buy that, but there's an argument. And that again, that one I can kind of I can kind of see. This one he committed a foul to get out of a bad position and then was warned and was removed from the bad position. You literally rewarded his cheating. Uh, cheating's a strong word. Because we carry this connotation that cheating involves like deliberate violation of the rules when any violation of the rules is cheating. And that's that's the context in which I'm using it here. Douglas Silva de Andrade broke the rules. That's not in dispute. He was then rewarded for breaking the rules by getting what he wanted to do by breaking the rules. It's like if you hold the fence to stop a takedown and the referee stops, warns you, and then restarts you guys on the feet, not even in the clinch. You broke the rules to achieve an objective, to achieve something. You didn't just do it to do it. You did it for a reason, right? Here, it was incidental to trying to get up. And then you let him up. Do you see how this doesn't work? Um, Stamen's protesting this, and I I wish him luck. Like He's not going to get anywhere with it, because athletic commissions never do anything about crap like this. Like, you can count on one hand the number of times they've actually addressed it. But he's filed his complaint with the Nevada State... Not, sorry, not Nevada. They were in North Carolina. So I don't know if it's the North Carolina State Athletic Commission or what the official title is. Because some of them are the Boxing Commission. Some of them are the Athletic Control Board. Some of them, they have different names. I, I, refer, I use Athletic Commission as a catch-all term, so bear, bear with me on that. They're going to have to hear him out. And I wish him the best of luck again. I think that was a bad call by the ref. And that first round was close enough that had Stamen had that, you know, you know, minute plus to actually do work on the ground, he might have won it. That might have cost him this fight. Um, 
I statement that Featherweight's an interesting prospect. He's going to be very undersized, but we'll see. Um, women's Flyweight. Here was our other... The fact that we had back-to-back -back, like serious officiating issues. So Mandy Boom defeats uh, Ji Yun Kim via technical split decision. There were 28-27s, two for Boom, one for Kim. I was 28-27 Kim, personally. So here's what happened. First round, we get a fairly normal round. Kim rocks Boom pretty badly, but gets caught up in the grappling, gets taken down, gets a sweep. Like, they trade positions. I thought Kim won the first round. Two of the judges disagreed. I don't... Again, I, I think that's a bad call. I think giving Kim the first... Uh, giving Boom the first round is a bad call. Second round. We get a bit more of the same. There's a lot of clinching. Um without much going on, but Kim is generally doing the better work. Near the end of the round, Boom gets a takedown, ends the round in full guard, and as the round ends, round has ended, okay, ref referee said stop, Kim is trying to kind of get up, and she kind of kicks Boom, and Boom is pushed back onto her butt, and... Uh, this is the kind of thing that you should know better. So, I don't know if Ji Young Kim was trying to be kind of dirty here. I don't know, because there, that speaks to intent, and I have no idea. And I don't pretend to have any idea. All I'm going to say is, if you're a professional fighter, you should know better than to do this. That's all I'm going to say. Now, here was the problem, and this is what kind of complicates things later, because we get a similar thing. She does, this is a foul, hitting after the bell, okay? So there's a foul from Kim. They give everyone the full minute between rounds. Then before the start of the third, the referee grabs Kim, comes out, point deduction for hitting after the bell. This isn't the worst thing in the world, but you should handle this much closer to the foul. Here's, the, here's one of the problems with this, and this rears its head in a second or two. Most of these judges' scorecards are, most of these things are tabulated via computer now. Judges have computers. So we're not dealing with handwriting and all that crap. But they need to turn in their scorecards at the end of the round. If you're going to take that point for that round, you need to do it in a relatively timely manner against the foul. Should have happened right away if you're going to take that point. I don't object to the point being taken here. Not at all. Okay? So, but again, a little bit wonky timing-wise and a little bit wonky procedurally. Third round, where everything goes... Sorry, technical split. This ended 155 of the third. Um, there's some pretty massive issue... Like communication at a bare minimum going on between Kim and her corner. Her corner's trying to get her to stay at distance and and strike it out, and she keeps clinching, and that's kind of what, Bo what Boom wants, and her corner's frustrated. Kim is a pretty good fighter, but she has a bad habit of just letting her opponent dictate the terms of the fight, and then she starts engaging consistently on those terms. And... There was some frustration on her end here as well. It was very evident. 
She gets around to the back in the clinch, drives Boom. Uh, so Boom has both her feet on the ground and one hand down, palm flat on the ground. And Kim throws a couple of knees to the body and then throws one to the head. And Boom can't continue after this. Like her left eye gets a little bit, her vision gets a little bit wonky. And I don't, bl- you got need in the head. I don't blame you for not being able to continue. And the referee decides that he's not going to disqualify Kim. And if you're not going to disqualify her because we're in the third round, we go to a technical decision, which means the judges score the fight up to the point when it was stopped. And they submit their scorecards, so the judges do this. After that, the referee grabs Kim and takes a point for the illegal knee. And for the record, Kim had clearly won this round. We got like two minute, less than two minutes of fighting. Kim won this round. Point deducted, 9-9. I thought Kim won the second. Another point deduction, 9-9 there. Hence, we get 28-27s. Because it kind of depends on where you score the first. But this results in a huge delay. Because the, the judges have already submitted their scorecards. So, with this point deduction, what they have to do is they stop everything. Go back to the judges. Get them to rescore... The third, again, because there's a a computer element to this, there's a mechanical element. They have to rescore, resubmit with the point deductions, and then it's it's just a mess. And it was a mess for the broadcast. This thing went on. I mean, the, the confusion around this went on. Fight ended. We come back. We hang out for about a minute and a half. Uh, maybe two, trying to figure out what's going on. Another quick commercial break, somewhere between 30 seconds and a minute. Then we come back. It threw everything else off for the broadcast for the rest of the night, well, at least until the main event, until the main card, because you have they have to hit that main card start time. Dude, if Matt Brown and Court McGee had gone the distance, they would have had overrun. Like they wouldn't have started that on time, or they would have started in the middle of Brown and McGee. Like it threw everything off to have this procedural snafu. Because this referee, again, if you, I don't even object to the point being taken. He stressed that. I think it's appropriate to take a point in that uh, in that situation, at least, at least from where I was sitting. And, <laughs> but you waited forever in a day. Like, if you're going to take that point, you take that point before the doctor and you wave that fight off. Like, you get the doctor in. If the if the knee is that bad that the doctor's coming in to check on things, you should probably take a point just because you've done... Not only is there a foul, but that's had a pretty serious impact. That's when that point should be taken, before the fight's waved off, because as soon as that fight's waved off, if we're going to the, de- the technical decision, the judges have to submit their cards. That point deduction is information they have to have before they submit their cards, not after. And it was it was just a mess. This was a there was a generally kind of poor performance from elements of the of the officiating crew here. And it, again, just not great. Just not great. Uh, again, I thought Kim should have won. I thought she won the first. The other two were draws. We get what we get. Um. 
Again, don't agree with it, but... Yeah, just not a good fight anyway. Uh, we had a catchweight fight. Of a, uh, catchweight fight. Brian Battle missed weight. He weighed 173 for a uh, welterweight fight. But he knocked the crap out of Gabe Green in 14 seconds. <laughs> um, Gabe Green came out and got right after it, wanted to get into a brawl. Battle got backed into the fence. And they started trading at Green's left hand. He was southpaw. His orientation was southpaw for this. Wasn't doing a great job defensively in that open punching lane for the power hand, and Battle just drops him with a right hook. All she wrote. Um, oh, it's another reminder that the UFC's um, policies are fluid and capricious frequently. Battle did get a performance of the night bonus for this, despite missing weight. General policy is that if you miss weight, you are ineligible for bonuses. Guess not so anymore. Uh, or, you know, again, this is one of those very, very loose policies that's largely contingent upon how much Dana White likes you. Uh, good win for Battle. He's from Charlotte, so he got the big hometown pop. Like, I just, I don't like, I don't like guys missing weight. And he did. But, you know, it was a, it was a good finish. Like, if Battle can really kind of settle himself in his skill set, He's got... There's some ability there. Then kicking everything off, uh, Tanara Lisboa defeated Jessica Rose Clark via rear naked choke, 420 of the third. A um, little bit better striking out of Lisboa. Clark opened up a nasty cut on Lisboa in the third round with an elbow. That might have been a fight stopper given its location. I mean, we're in the third round, so probably not, but it was not a good cut. Uh, Clark just took forever, a little bit of time to get going. She doesn't quite have the strength advantage at bantamweight that I think a lot of her game currently needs. Uh, better striking out of Lisboa. And then Clark off of her back and she gets taken down. She's just, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done there. So, a solid debut for Lisboa. All right, that was the card. Um, we lost... What was the fight we lost? Uh, Natan Levy and Pete Rodriguez. Rodriguez didn't even weigh in. Um, these two were supposed to fight a couple of weeks ago on the uh, the Song versus Simone card. Something happened with Rodriguez there. Um, th I don't know what that one was, but they tried it again here, and Simo uh, And again, like Rodriguez, just, he had weight issues here. Just again, he didn't officially weigh in, so whatever happened with him was bad. Uh, sucks for Levy. Hope they paid him. Pretty sure they didn't, but I hope they did. So we lost that one, but, uh, anyway, our bonuses, performances of the night went to pretty much every finish. Uh, Jelton Almeida, Ian Machado-Gary, Carlos Ulborg, Matt Brown, and Brian Battle. They, they didn't give one to Alex Morono. <laughs> Only finish that didn't get a bonus. <laughs> Poor guy. Um, that said, like, I'm not going to argue. The only one I'd argue is battle because your policy is if you miss weight, you don't get a bonus. Except that's not your policy anymore, I guess. So who cares? Um, but that would be my only gripe. Other than that, I mean, yeah, they were good finishes. So um, Successful card. Apparently they had a gate of just over $2 million. An attendance of 18000 Um. If that's true, assuming the number is correct, that would be the that'd be the highest 
It wouldn't be the highest attended UFC event ever. Because uh, I know they've had bigger pay-per-views. Uh, oh, sorry, here it is. I knew there was something about this. It had been tickling my head. Um, this was the highest attended fight night in the United States. And we're throwing a few qualifiers on there, but... The UFC... When the UFC was on the road every week, they had to put forth not only better cards, um, but I think it messed up elements of their like venue booking. It, sorry, the, uh, that's maybe a bit too speculative, but the fact that the UFC is willing to starve certain markets, just run crap at the apex, and then take a fight night there, and people will show up and pay through the... F- Dude, UFC events are so expensive. I mean, you get to a big, like, prestige pay-per-view, and okay, you're going to pay. You're going to pay for that. Like, I, I get it. This is a fight night in the afternoon, like, early afternoon in Charlotte, North Carolina. And people are paying through the nose for it. Because the UFC hasn't been to North Carolina since, like, 2018. Right? When was the last time they were there? Yeah, January of 18. So, you know, you spend five and a half years... Uh, elsewhere, the market gets a little bit hungry for the live experience. So I wonder if part of why they continue to use the Apex isn't so that they can just kind of control where they go and how desperate the market is to get people to pay you get a lot of money. Look up UFC ticket prices, man. They are... They've gone up a lot. And that's all I'm going to say. So that was the event. Um, again, my full report is in the MMA zone of 411mania.com. If you are so inclined, please do give it a read. I thank you very, very much for that. All right, let's move on. We're blowing right through this today, aren't we? So UFC on ESPN Plus 81 coming your way this coming Saturday. They're back at the Apex. This is not a good card. I'm just straight up, this is not a good card. Um, your main event, the original main event for this was supposed to be, uh, what was it, Pennington and Aldana, which is giant meh. That obviously got moved after Juliana Pena got hurt, so now Aldana gets her title shot, which she deserved anyway. Apparently Pennington is the backup for that fight. Oh, God, help us. We already saw Amanda Nunes beat the crap out of Raquel Pennington. I don't need to see that again. Thank you. I mean, they need a backup, but... Eh. All this leads to our current main event. Mackenzie Dern versus Angela Hill. I... I don't know what to tell you. I, I really don't. Um, so, I don't know how we want to parse this out. Dern is... I mean, Dern's pure jiu-jitsu is the best on the women's side in the UFC, if not all of MMA. Like, she's that good. She's struggled to really kind of get it going in MMA because I don't think she's devoted a lot of time to her ground and pound, which is necessary to open up attacks. I mean, think about all the time she had. Like, she didn't have it a lot of times when she fought um, Yan Xiaonan. But there were times when she had the back, or she had mount, or she had these positions that 
in pure jujitsu, I'm sure she could have finished. But because it's MMA and there's a few other wrinkles and there's the gloves to contend with, she couldn't quite finish them. You need other, you need to be working stuff that helps that. And your ground and pound is a big part of that. And her, her takedowns are just poor. There's not another way to say it. Like she's, for as great as her jujitsu is, she struggles to get people down. It's a real problem. Uh, her striking is. Uh, it's just, yeah. Dern shows flashes of serious ability, but she has yet to put together a truly, like, I don't think she's yet really strung together a single compelling fight. Yeah, a single compelling performance in that respect. How she's going to match up with Angela Hill. Hill's pretty fleet of foot, but Hill slows. Uh, we've seen that a lot. Hill's the better striker, but she'll be a little smaller. Which could be a big deal, actually. Um, man. I do not know. This, is a t this one could legitimately go either way. I mean, I say Hill... F He'll fade. She does, but like, it's not like Duren has manic cardio either. I don't know. I'm going to lean towards Duren just a little bit, but I might feel very, very foolish on that Saturday night. <laughs> I might. Uh, next up, middleweights. Edmund Shabazian and Anthony Hernandez. Well, do I have to explain how this one's going to go? I'm not trying to bag on Shabazian, but they gave him the softest touch possible when he fought Dalshalungi and Bula, and he got a win back, but that was after three losses in a row, all of them bad. Um, Hernandez is tough. Hernandez is a good wrestler. Hernandez pushes a pretty good pace. He's a pretty good grappler once things hit the ground. Like, Shabazian might have a good first round in him. But he fades a little bit. His grappling is suspect. And off of his back, he's just hes just not good. He's not good at getting up. I'm picking Hernandez here. Hernandez on a three-fight winning streak. They are not doing Shabazian. They might have given him a little bit of a favor with uh, Lungi Ambula. This is not at all him doing him a favor. Hernandez is a very good fighter. And I... Kind of expect Hernandez to win. You have a catch weight of 120 pounds. Um, let's see. I think... Okay, Lupita Godinez took this fight on short notice, replacing Poliana Viana, hence the catch weight. Uh, Ducati... One and one in the UFC. She beat Penne, then lost to Hill. Whereas Lupi... Beat Cynthia Calvillo. Lost to Hill. Uh, I think I'm going to lean... Oh, man. Godinez on short notice is kind of iffy. I think I'm going to lean towards Godinez here, but... If this was the original fight, I would... I would... Hang on. Let me double-check Viana. 
Yeah, if this was the original fight, I would have picked Ducati without too much hesitation. This is a lot... This is a lot closer. Yeah, this is a lot closer. You know what? No, on short notice, actually, I'm going to switch this. I'm going to go with Ducati. Uh, she's she's actually pretty good. Welterweights. Andre Fialho and Joaquin Buckley. This actually has some potential. Um, Fialho, man, I... I like him, but he has some issues. He's coming off of that rough loss to Muslim Salikov. He got stopped by Jake Matthews before that. That was a tough loss. Um, he's a tough out. I don't mean to say that. That was that was the best Matthews has ever looked, and I don't think he's. I don't know if he can repeat that level that look. You know, uh, Buckley. Buckley's on a two-fight losing streak. He got decisioned by Nasruddin Imavov. Then Chris Curtis knocked him out. He was doing pretty good against that, uh, against Curtis. And I think pretty highly of Chris Curtis's ability. Wait, is Buckley cutting to welterweight for the first time? Hang on. Because um, he's been at middleweight, I want to say two. Curtis is a middleweight. Yeah, that was middleweight. Um, Imovov's a middleweight. Double check. Yeah, that was middleweight. He fought at welterweight. Um, the first little bit of his career actually was welterweight. Uh, his middleweight debut was in 19, fighting for the LFA. After he lost to Logan Storley in Bellator, that was at welterweight. Um, there's a catchweight here or there, but... I'm curious to see what he'll do at welterweight. That said, with him this being his first cut down there, I might actually lean Fialho. Um, Buckley's a dynamic dude, but he's... That's a pretty big drop. That That's a 15-pound drop. He's going to have lost a serious amount of mass. So I, I just don't know how he's going to look, and that kind of leads me to favor Fialho, but... That fight has some potential. That's probably a fun one. Lightweight. Uh, Hayasir Mahashte. I think it just goes by Mahashte. Versus Vyacheslav Borshev. Uh, excuse me, Vyacheslav Borshev. Good old Slava Claus. Uh, that one might be fun. Mahashte's been... I think he's more, been more down than up in the UFC, if memory serves. I want to double check that. Wait, are we supposed to have... Okay, that might be listed... The order might be a little bit wonky there, so let me... Yeah, that's listed there. It's listed further down. Okay, so... Uh, Borshev. Uh, Borishev, I believe is more accurate. Um, one and two in the UFC. Lost his last two. Uh, he's got some grappling issues. I mean, he's working with um, Team Alpha Male, so I'm sure he's trying to develop that. Uh, Mahashte... One and one, beat Steve Garcia, lost to Rafa Garcia. Uh, it's kind of a tough one. I think I'm going to lean towards Borshev. I'm going to lean towards Borshev here. Then, kicking off the main card, we have Michael Johnson and Carlos Diego Fajaya. It's not a bad fight either, actually. 
Um, Johnson, you know, he just kind of is who he is. He beat Mark Jacquesi last time out. Uh, Beherta, he's on a three-fight losing streak. I mean, Benil Daryush, that was split. You could argue that one for him. I, d I don't agree, but you could argue it. Gregor Gillespie stopped him. That was kind of rough. Then Mateusz Gamrot, like, busted his ribs uh, with some knees. It was December of 21, so he's been out for a while. He had an injury, stopped a fight with Drakkar Close. Hmm. I'm going to lean towards Fajera. Uh, yeah, I'm going to lean towards Fajera. But, you know, Johnson, he's a very capable fighter, and if he lands on you, he can do some damage. So you discount him at your own peril. I'm certainly not going to discount him. Uh, let's see. What do we got? Karolina Kovalkiewicz and Vanessa Demopoulos. Why? So I'm, this is just me whining about my hands. Because I can only control C one of them. <laughs> Probably going to be Kovalkiewicz and I'll just struggle with Demopoulos. Um, Kovalkiewicz on a two-fight winning streak, actually. Which is, you know, not bad. Demopolis. She lost her UFC debut up at flyweight, moved down to strawweight, and is 3-0 since. This is a decent step up for her, though. Like, to this point, she's fought uh, Silviana gomez Juarez, Jinyu Fry, and Maria Oliveira. Kovalkiewicz is legitimate. Um... I think I'm going to lean towards Demopolis. I just think Kovalkiewicz is kind of past it. I mean, she's still able to win, clearly. But, I don't know. I don't I don't know that I'm going to do a lot of picking of Kovalkiewicz and going forward. It's just kind of where she's at. Uh, welterweight, Orion Kosi and Gilbert Urbina. Um, Urbina is... 0-1 in the UFC. He lost to Brian Battle in the finale of that season of Tough. Anyone who cares about that. Um, that was a while ago, though. That was... Yeah, 21? Yeah, that was... Um, August of 21. Yeah, he's been up for a while. Um, Kosi, I believe, is what zero and one in the one and one in the UFC. He beat Blood Diamond. Um, that layoff for Urbina is is troubling. Urbina dropped into one seventy two because um, he'd previously been fighting at middleweight. Yeah, let me lean towards Kosi here, but I don't know how good I feel about it. Heavyweights, because, of course, um, Ilir Latifi and Rodrigo Nascimento. Kind of surprised Latifi's still there, but um, won his last two. You know, it's a Latifi fight. You know what you're getting here. Nascimento, little up and down in the UFC, 1-1-1. One, one, one. Um, lost to Chris Dawkins. Sorry, 2-1-1, one, one. excuse me. He, he has the win over Dante Mays. Um, I just don't like picking Aleo Latifi, so I'm going to pick Nascimento. Lightweight, Chase Hooper and Nick Fior. Um, 
Hooper had a bad loss last time out, if memory serves. Because I don't care about him beating Clay Guida and grappling. Yes, yeah, Steve Garcia kind of beat the crap out of him in route uh, to a first-round stoppage. That was rough. It was real rough. But he's been trading wins and losses in the UFC, so that pattern holds, he'll get a win here. Uh, Fior lost his UFC debut to Mateusz Rambeski. Um, a decent enough little fight. It was back in January of this year. I don't know. I'm not sure how often I'm going to pick. I don't know that Chase Hooper is going to go oh, and going to go on that losing streak right here. I'm going to go with Hooper, but that boy has some stuff to sort out. Uh, let's see. Women's flyweight, Victoria Leonardo and Natalia Silva. Leonardo beat Mandy Boom last. Lost before that to Manon Fior and Melissa Gatto. Has lost to Aaron Blanchfield. That's aged pretty well, actually, because Blanchfield is really good. Um, there was some there was some wonkiness around her stoppage loss to Gatto because it was a doctor stoppage. Like, they were worried about the broken nose, and it wasn't actually broken, but it was... Yeah, again, I, I could see it. Um, Silva is... 14-5-1, and 2-0 in the UFC. She's beaten Jasmine Jazdavisius and Teresa Bleda. I think I'm going to lean towards Silva here. Um, Leonardo's had a real hard time getting out of the blocks. Then, let's see, did we lose one of these that has not been updated? Yeah, that got canceled. Okay, I'll leave that one alone. Uh, we have a welterweight fight between Takashi Sato and Themba Gorimbo. Uh, Mr. Sato has lost his last three to Miguel Baeza, Gunnar Nelson, and then Brian Battle. Uh, whereas Gorimbo, I believe, won his UFC debut. Because he's, he's the first Zimbabwean to make it to the UFC. Or did he lose that? I think he lost his UFC debut, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, A.J. Fletcher guillotined him. Sato's kind of win or go home here. I'm going to lean towards Sato still. Uh, Gorimbo's grappling looked... Uh, that had some issues in that Fletcher fight. And I think Sato can exploit that, but he, if he loses this one, I think he's gone. Um, let's see, was there... Double-check some of this, because we've had... A few bouts moved around and rescheduled. Yeah, we lost a flyweight fight. And then there was a middleweight fight uh, that got rescheduled to another event. Okay. So that's where we are. That's the card as it currently stands. Saturday, UFC uh, UFC on ESPN Plus 81. I will be in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com covering it. So stop by, say hello. Always appreciate it. All right, we have some quick news here. I, I, let me just talk briefly about... I, I mentioned the stoppage in that fight between... Um, dude, Tony Weeks, man, just screwed over Ishmael Barroso in that fight with Roley Romero. Incorrectly ruled a knockdown. The same round he stops the fight, mind you. Incorrectly rules a knockdown. Um, Roley lands a pretty good punch. Like, he's he's got Barroso hurt. 
but he shoves him over, and that shouldn't be a knockdown, and they Tony Weeks ruled it a knockdown. Then Rolly looks to get back on action. Barroso is throwing back, and Weeks steps in to wave. A terrible refereeing job, by the way. And Barroso, he dropped Romero in like the second or third. Somewhere in the first four. I forget the exact round. But uh, Barroso dropped Rolly. Rolly did not look especially good here. Um, I'm not going to throw around corruption because that is a serious accusation that carries legal consequences that would require evidence that I do not have. The only thing I'm going to say is that it definitely looked like Tony Weeks was trying to do Rolly Romero a favor. It's the only thing I'm going to say because this was... I can't call this the worst stoppage I've ever seen in boxing. There's a couple that I've seen that are worse. This is among the very worst high-profile stoppages I've ever seen in boxing, though. Just inexplicable, terrible, 40-year-old Barroso, who'd been kind of sitting out for a shot at the vacant belt that they had here. He'd been the mandatory for this title. I forget which organization it was. But he'd been the mandatory for like a year, and they just kind of kept putting him off. Um current champion for that group became champion in recess so he fought Rolly Romero for the vacant one again up on all the judges scorecards had his own knockdown um I'm, I'm not even saying that Rolly Romero couldn't have made the comeback he started cooking he finally started doing stuff they were in like the ninth and he just kind of given away almost every round before that um, not not literally every round but I think I had Barroso up five points. Again, it's boxing and there was a knockdown. So when I say, so I think I had a five point difference. So there was still time for Romero to turn it around. And once he started kind of wanting to throw stuff and whatnot, he definitely had, he, he, the dude can thump and he's got some pretty fast hands. But it felt like, this, this felt a little bit like, oh no, he's behind. The first chance you get to save our guy, go save him. And again, I, I I have no evidence of that, so I'm not accusing anyone. I am saying that that's what it it could easily feel like they were jumping in to make sure Roley won and kind of screwing over this guy. And even if there was no malicious intent, horrible stoppage by Tony Weeks. Horrible. He should have to answer for this. He won't have to answer for this because the Nevada State Athletic Commission never makes anyone answer for anything unless they're maliciously and capriciously persecuting fighters. But terrible, man. Just terrible. Tony Weeks screwed, but also just totally screwed. 40 years old, never going to get back to that world title level. Almost certainly never. Utter shame. Utter shame. Anyway. I wanted to talk about that very briefly, so thank you for indulging me. Let's move on. Um, got some news coming out of the post-fight presser for UFC on ABC4. The upcoming fight that was supposed to take place at flyweight between Davis and Figueredo and Manel Cop is off. Figueredo's really moving up to bantamweight. Super serious this time. He said after losing that Moreno fight, the, th- the quadrilogy, that he was going to move up to bantamweight. The cut was too much for him. He wanted to try it again, apparently, and however far out we are from when that was supposed to happen, they kind of realized that ain't happening. So that's off. 
Um, I don't like Figueredo's chances at bantamweight, but if he can't make flyweight anymore, this is what you got to do. Uh, let's see what else do we have here. Oh, Francis Ngannou has promised an announcement via Twitter to take place on the 16th, so Tuesday. We should have some kind of official announcement about Francis Ngannou's immediate future. Uh, my hunch is PFL. That's my hunch. Um, he's also... Uh, there's been a lot of um, borderline slander thrown around of Francis Ngannou. You had Chatri Sityatong out there saying he's making. We offered him a gross amount of money and it wasn't enough, and he wanted seats on the board. One, you give those away. They're door prizes at your Christmas party. Chatri, we know that. Dude, Misha Tate's actively fighting for the UFC, and I think she's still some VP of something or other for one championship. Come on. Even if that's what he wanted, you should have given it to him. The big stumbling block, apparently, and this has been true for a lot of other places too, Francis Ngannou wants to put in his contract the minimum amount that his opponent can make will be a million dollars. Can we just take half a second here, all of us... I never jumped on this hype train, so you know what? I do get to say you this time. Frequently I say us, because I am usually included in this. Not this time. Um, you, people out there who hurled crap at Francis Ngannou, who started buying into the no, he's difficult to work with narrative, he should have just stayed with the UFC, blah, 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 blah. By every available source, this man is out there right now saying, I don't care who I fight, but fighting me should get them a million dollars minimum. Applaud that man. Seriously. Look, I don't know Francis Ngannou personally. I am not here to say he's a good human being. I don't know the man. I am saying he absolutely put his money where his mouth is. He said this is not just about me. This is not just about how much money I make. This is about a lot more than that. And he has been out there saying it's still about more than that. And his coach, Eric Nixick, actually uh, dropped a little bit of knowledge, too. And some people were talking a little bit about, you know, Francis should stay with the UFC. They were going to make him, he was going to get, um, you know, like $8 million a fight. And there's a lot of... There's a lot of conjecture going on here, so let's... Let's break this down for just half a second. Dana White said we made Francis Ngannou an offer that would have made him the highest paid UFC heavyweight fight, UFC fighter ever. Or UFC heavyweight champion. I forget the... I forget, some combination of like highest paid and highest paid heavyweight. I forget, I forget exactly how that broke down, but the long and the short of it was um, Mr. Nash... Um, I think it's John Nash, uh, at Hey Not The Face on Twitter, who has looked into the finances of the UFC very extensively, said, here's what we know. The highest paid UFC, it might have been the highest single paid UFC guy ever, certainly UFC heavyweight, was Brock Lesnar. And we know that for, I think it was his UFC 200 fight, he made $8 million. So assuming Dana White is not lying, giant assumption, by the way, in theory, whatever they offered Francis would have totaled more than $8 million for his next fight, which would have been against John Jones. 
Eric Nixick chimed in, and Nixick is, again, his head coach and would probably have more inside information into this than most of us, said it wasn't just that. There were provisions in place for his pay dropping after. So, and wouldn't surprise me if the contract he was offered was, okay, for the John Jones fight, you will clear, or you could clear, again, this, Brock's purse was not $8 million. Uh, I forget what Brock's purse was for that. It was around a million. Because he didn't have a show and win split. He just had a flat fee. But Brock also got pay-per-view points, and those aren't the same anymore with the current model, and we know that, but... So the long and the short of that is, I very much doubt the UFC said, fight John Jones and your disclosed purse, well, it wouldn't be disclosed anymore, right? And we'll give you an $8 million check. It probably would have been hefty. I don't think they would have given him just two, but they might have, somewhere in that range. And then the idea being that there's enough residuals, you know, we'll give you, you can get a cut of X, Y, and Z. And in total, it'll probably get you over what we paid Brock. My hunch is that's a bit more what it was. But if that was exclusive to the John Jones fight and any other fight or your next fight is cut drastically down, well, that changes the equation just a little bit now, doesn't it? Dude, Benson Henderson talked about this. Um, one of the times he, when he didn't re-sign with the UFC. The contract he was offered had, part of it was, if you fight for the title you will get this big pay bump. And he thought about it and said, yeah, but who decides if I fight for the title? <laughs> right? Not wrong. So there, there's some complicating factors there. Um, but the point here is Ngannou's still out there going, this is about the state of things, and this is about who I fight. So whoever I fight, you should get a million dollars. Seriously, take your hat off to that guy. So we will know more specifics on Tuesday, and I will talk about it next week. You have my word on that. But that's where we are at the moment. Something coming for Francis Ngannou. All right. Moving on. And my last little thing here, and then we will move. We will get into plugs and get out of here, I think. So can we just talk for half a minute here or so about the upcoming UFC fight nights, UFC cards? So I, I talked about Dern and Hill not being great. It's not a great card. It's followed by UFC on ESPN 46, uh, which is headlined by Kai Kata France and Amir Al-Bazi. There was talk about that being a different fight at the top, and then that fell apart kind of at the last minute, so they just had to bump up the flyweights. This is our first flyweight main event of any kind in the UFC since the first fight between Brandon Moreno and Davis and Figueredo, mind you. So, you know, fun. UFC hates flyweights. I'm convinced of it. Um, that card is not great. I don't mind Carl France and Albazi, but it's not... I mean, you have... Look, the other fight on that card we're looking forward to is Jim Miller and Ludovic Klein because Jim Miller. But it's it's not a strong card. Dude, Andre Arlovsky's fighting Dante Mays on that card. Uh, Tim Elliott's fighting, and boy, Tim... I feel bad for Tim Elliott, man. He dumped... I'm not going to get into it. Okay, I'm just... Because it... It rise. It strikes me more as, like, gossip. Or... 
and I don't like doing that here. I don't like doing interpersonal drama gossip, but uh, poor Tim Elliott dropped some dropped some personal stuff on the internet, and uh, that's clearly a man suffering, and I feel very bad for him because what he's going through, if his side of things is accurate, what he's going through is terrible, and not something anyone should go through. Then you get UFC 289, which got better after Juliana Pena got injured. Uh, but Nunes and Aldana, like, remember for the longest time when Dana White would try it out that Demetrius Johnson had the worst-selling pay-per-view in UFC history? Yeah, that's not DJ anymore, and it's and it's Nunes. Nunes has, like, the two worst-selling pay-per-views in UFC history at this point that we know about. I'm not mad at her main eventing. I'm just saying. Like, there's not a lot there. I mean, Oliveira and Daryush is on that card, and yes, into my veins, love that fight. But it's not the strongest pay-per-view in the world on paper. And again, we'll preview the whole thing when we get there, but that's where I'm standing. That's followed by UFC on ESPN 47, headlined by Marvin Vittori versus Jared Cannonier. And that fight is utterly unsupported. Um, this might be the first time in a long time. I'm looking at this card right now. More fighters on this card do not have Wikipedia pages than have Wikipedia pages. The next best fight on that card is Armin Saryukin and Joaquin Silva. Good fight. But, and then maybe, what, Miles Johns and Hani Barcelos? Yeah, possible shout-out to Salikov and Dalby, but the rest of that is, it's weak. It's a weak card. The following week, we get UFC on ABC5. Great main event, mind you. Josh Emmett and Ilya Teporia, love it. Again, hook it into my veins. Love that fight. Not supported well. You got Barber and Hebos. Eh, Brandon Allen and Bruno Silva's not bad. But that's kind of it. Um, I'm not saying the fights are going to be bad, okay? This is about, like, this is about perception and what we can get excited about on paper. There's not much there outside of the main event. After that, we have Sean Strickland versus uh, Abusapi and Magomedov. Good old Abus. Um, Sean Strickland. Still main eventing fight nights. The Apex. That card, there's time for that card. That's the July 1st card. And it's not full yet. There's still there's still room for that one to improve. But a Sean Strickland main event is... I'm not dissing Sean Strickland here, okay? I, I mean, I, I like the guy's fights. He's kind of a funny guy on Twitter. If you have a taste for his brand of humor. And on the right occasion, I can. Again, on occasion. But... I, is Abus is like in his first or se- this is either his first or second UFC fight. Two nineties after that, and two nineties is a good card. You got two title fights. You got Whitaker and DDP. Like the problem, the only problem there is like I like Vulcan Rodriguez. I I'm very much looking forward to that fight. Not a lot of like star power attached to it. Again, I love Volkanovski. I do. He's maybe my favorite active fighter. But he's not a big draw. Neither is Rodriguez. I mean, I'm sure we'll get a good crowd here, actually. But 
And I mean, Volk seemed to garner some serious kind of sympathy after that fight with um with Islam Makashev. So that might have helped him. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but again, like, I'm just talking about on paper excitement. I'm excited for this card, but I'm kind of a hardcore fight fan, you know. So my. But you follow that with a Holly Holm main event. Holly Holm versus uh, Myra Buena Silva. Like, <laughs> ow. They haven't announced that that's at the Apex, but that's an Apex card. Uh, all, like, the next little bit, we've got Sean Strickland and Holly Holm main events. I think the event after that is uh, Tom Aspinall and Marcin Tabora. Yeah. Loosely interested. I'm curious to see how Aspinall looks after recovering from that knee injury in his last fight, because that was bad. But this is another card that is, like, utterly unsupported. What's the next best fight on that card? What do we got? What do we got? What do we got? What do we got? Probably Brian Barbarina and Mahmoud Muradov. Brian Barbarina moving up to middleweight? Um, I like Muradov. I like Barbarina, too. Like, that fight, those guys are going to slug it out. That'll be a good one. That'll be a pretty good one. But, what else is on that card? Ketlin Vieira and Panny Kianzad. Mark Chikese and Joel Alvarez. Eh. Oh, Molly McCann. And Yulia Stolyarenko. They are just trying to prop up old Meatball after Aaron Blanchfield just murdered her. But, like, that's every event for the next... Like, that's June and July. The summer months. And... There's very little to get genuinely excited about there. Like, if I come across, like, I'm just whining about everything. Like, I'm... I'm sorry, but I watch every one of these start to finish. It's my job. And I don't feel bad about commenting on the quality and my expectations ahead of that. So... Yeah, there's... There's a real saturation problem with the UFC quality-wise. The UFC doesn't care that much because they have so much guaranteed revenue, and fair play to them. But we're going into what should be like the big couple of months, and we're kind of devoid of hyped fights. Again, I can find a few here and there, and I am not saying the fights are going to suck. Some of them I will. I'll say some of the... I I will say when I come across specific previews that I think this fight sucks. And if after the fights happen, they suck, I will say they suck. That's what you get from me. But as it currently stands, like, again, just what are you, like, are you super excited about most of that? I'm not. And I don't feel bad saying it. Like, I hope the fights are good. I really do. Because I don't like watching bad fights any more than you guys do. But I don't know. It's just, there, there is kind of a problem here. There is. It's not as big a problem as it used to be because the UFC used to try to engender the fervor of you have to watch every event. They've actually backed off of that. Uh, I think in no small part because as long as they hit their mandatory minimums for events produced for ESPN, they get giant chunks of cash. 
So they don't actually care if you watch as long as ESPN is paying them. So, I mean, I'm sure they care to some degree, but it's not what it used to be. And there's good and there's bad that comes with that. So, I don't know. It's uh, it's just going to be a rough couple of months. We're going to have some real rough stretches coming up. And I wanted to take a moment to acknowledge that because I think it's true. All right. That's everything I've got written down. Let's do... Let's check Twitter, see if anything crazy has happened. If not, we'll do plugs and get out of here. Nope, nothing new. So, what do I got for plugs? I will be covering Monday Night Raw for not only this Monday, the 15th, but also the 22nd. The estimable Tony Acero is on vacation, and somebody's got to do it. So, it's me. Yay. So, I'll be doing that on Monday. WWE SmackDown on Friday, so that'll be fun. UFC event on Thursday, um, Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. We have a special Damn You Hollywood. It'll be a double shot. Myself and Mark Radlitz, we'll be talking about Tetris and the Boston Strangler. Originally, this was going to be a triple shot, Tetris, Boston Strangler, and Bruiser. I hadn't seen Bruiser yet, and then Mark got on and said something about Tetris and something about the Boston Strangler. We kind of realized, like, yeah, we might. We've got a harder out on that one. We've both got stuff to do that evening after that. So we just kind of went, all right, it's probably going to be best if we just talk. If we just do the two shows or the two movies, we'll leave Bruiser off because I hadn't seen it yet. And the other had he. So we'll be talking about those. Not much on Tetris. Boston Strangler is going to be kind of Mark going this element of this movie affected me emotionally and me going, but here's the mountain of problems with the movie, and then we yell at each other. That's kind of how that one's going to go. <laughs> um, last week it was Guardians of the Galaxy, so, Volume 3, so if you're interested in our thoughts on that, Damn You Hollywood covered Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. That was fun. Uh, the week after... Yeah, the 23rd is Fast X. So, Do not want. Do not want, but we'll be reviewing it. And because I am a good little boy, I will be reviewing it. I was seeing it so I can review it. All right. But that's it. So WWE Monday and Friday, UFC on Saturday. Next week, we will be back here to review UFC on ESPN Plus 81. And we'll throw a preview at UFC on ESPN 46. I kind of ran down that card already. But full preview next week, and we will do the associated things. All right. Thank you very, very much, as always, for listening. I appreciate you guys more than you know. Thank you a lot. See you next week. Until then, stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.